0: Good morning, Cleveland Bible Church. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn in them, if you would, to the book of Second Peter, Second Peter, chapter two. 2 Peter, chapter two. This week is Pine Cove Week. Um, be praying for the children that are going to be here. We're going to be. Uh, we have uh, limited out the. The number of kids that can come, it'll be a great week. Pray for Miss Vicki. She's got a terrible cold and uh, um, said she's in a fog this morning, so uh, you can be praying for her this coming week. A couple of weeks ago, Beth and I uh, went to the Midwest where I, I officiated the memorial service for my best friend from high school. On the way back, we decided to stop in Branson, Missouri for a couple of days to celebrate our 49th wedding anniversary. And one morning while we were there, we were going to go out and take a hike on some of the walking or hiking trails, and we left the city of Branson. Beth was driving, I was navigating. And we were going up into one of those Ozark mountains, coming around a bend in the road as we ascended. And as I looked through the windshield, I saw a pickup truck coming toward us, The guy was bending over as if to pick up something from the floor, and he crossed the double yellow line into our lane. There was a guardrail on our right and a drop-off beyond that. And about as soon as he saw us, he righted himself, brought his truck back into his lane, and we passed one another safely. And I said to Beth, if we'd have been one or two seconds earlier, we'd have had a head-on collision. But God spared us. Around every bend in life, every bend in the road, there is danger. For the Scriptures declare, written by Peter himself in the other epistle that he wrote, that Satan prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. One of the dangers that confronts us in life is the danger of false teaching. We live in a world where we are bombarded by propaganda from without. On the left, there is the fake news, the selective stories, the selective parts of stories, and even outright lies. And on the right, there are the conspiracy theories of every sort and size and color. The propaganda is all around us from without. But it should not be so within the church, we would think, but indeed it is. For within the church of Jesus Christ, within Christendom, within Christianity, in our country and even around the world, false teaching from within is a threat to our spiritual life and an endangerment to it. In a world where television broadcasts are are manifold, where there are YouTube videos and Podcasts and live streams, even as we have. We hear a constant barrage of of teaching over the radio and over the other media networks. Some of it is good, but some of it is false. One of the great truths that's under attack in the world in which we live is the expectation of the imminent return of Jesus Christ in the clouds to catch up his church in the air. And it indeed is the focus of the book of Second Peter. For as we shall see in chapter 3, the scoffers would come and say, where is the promise of his coming? For things continue today as they have since creation. It is also... Not only for the readers of Second Peter, who, to whom he wrote a danger, it is a danger to us as well. In some cases, it is completely ignored. Many young people, you talk to them and say, I hope that the rapture of the Lord will come and they will simply roll their eyes. And as one of our kids said to us, I think I've told you before, get your head around it, Mom, We're, you're going to die someday. In other places, it's contradicted completely. I uh, attended a funeral some time ago, and the young pastor said, it is a fact that everybody is going to die. And I thought to myself, not necessarily so. For we are to live in expectation of the return of Jesus Christ in the clouds. As we open this epistle, Kevin spoke on the opening verses of chapter 1, and he spoke about the importance of building character into our Christian lives. We are to add to our faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and self-control perseverance, and perseverance godliness, and godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness Christian love. He says if we add these two to our Christian, if we add this char- build this character into our Christian life, it will produce two things. It will make us fruitful. We will not be unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we will secondly have an abundant entrance into the eternal kingdom. Last week, Dean built upon that message and spoke to us about the importance of prophetic truth. And that the prophetic truth of the Word of God is confirmed, it is true. We can bank our life upon it. For holy men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit when they penned the prophetic truth of Scripture. And evidence of that was the prophecy of Jesus when he lived upon earth that some would not die until they saw the kingdom. And in fulfillment of that promise, three disciples, Peter, James, and John, saw the Lord Jesus Christ unveiled in all of his majesty and the the, the veil was taken off and they saw the coming of the kingdom in the coming of the king. And so prophetic truth can be banked on It is confirmed. It is true. As we go into our passage this morning, Peter provides, first of all, a warning regarding false teachers. And then he will speak of the destiny of these false teachers along with an allusion to our destiny as well. And so we begin our study with chapter 2 as Peter warns regarding The uh, false teachers. Notice verse one. But there were, were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. Notice the verse begins with the word but. Peter has just spoken that there were holy men of God who were moved by the Holy Spirit, but there were false prophets as well in the Old Testament. He will later mention Balaam in this particular book, but as you read the book of Jeremiah, he was confronted by false prophets. As you read the book of Ezekiel, he interacted with false prophets. There were false prophets in the Old Testament, and what Peter is saying is just as there were false prophets in the Old Testament era, there will be false teachers even among you. He declares that these false teachers will secretly bring in destructive heresies. They will come into a congregation, into Christian ministry incognito. They will keep their cards close to their chest. They will hide what they really believe and think. They will not expose it. They will not tell it because what they want to do at the beginning is build credibility. And once they have built credibility, then they will begin to introduce ideas and thoughts that are contrary to the Word of God, particularly contrary to the doctrine that Peter is addressing in this particular passage. They are counterfeits. They are shams. They pretend to be something that they are not and they bring in the heresies which Peter calls then destructive they are destructive to your life and they will be destructive to mine and anyone who sits under their authority and so it's important that you listen with great care and discernment to whoever you listen to in a podcast or on the radio or on television or in a congregation anywhere because they will bring in ideas and thoughts that are destructive to your life what Peter is implying in this particular text is that if we are going to maintain, listen carefully, if we are going to maintain a healthy lifestyle, that healthy lifestyle has a focus not on the here, but on the hereafter. Because those who live in expectation of the imminent return of Jesus Christ, that He could come at any time, are going to live what Peter calls a holy life. What manner of men, in chapter 3, will he say, should we be in holiness and godliness? One of the factors, it's only one, but it's one of the factors to godly living is living in expectation of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But they will bring in heresies. They will move you away from that truth. They will not focus on it at all. They will be absent from their teaching. They will then bring in other ideas and thoughts. And with those ideas and thoughts, little bit by little bit, the E will erode the morality of the Christians whom they influence. And because they will seek to destroy others with the heresy, they themselves will meet swift destruction, which Peter will elaborate on the verses to follow. Verse 2, and many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. What I want you to observe in the text is that many, many people will follow the destructive ways. They will follow the teachings of the false teachers. We live in a celebrity world where teachers and preachers who have great personalities and give false promises and false ideas will gain great crowds and many will follow them. Some large ministries and some large churches are right on target. The preachers and teachers speak the truth. But there are many large churches and many large ministries and many ministries on the television networks that are broadcasting to people, and they have large followings. And they're false teachers. They're not speaking the truth. And so this sermon is vitally important among them. And if absent from their teaching is teaching about the coming of Christ, and if their focus is on the here and now instead of eternity, you have to be suspect about what they are declaring. Because the false teaching is all about getting the most out of this life with little thought to the future. They avoid the hard sayings of Scripture. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross day by day and follow me. Lay not up treasure on earth, but lay it up in heaven. They avoid the hard sayings of Scripture because they are trying to gain a great follow. And the text says that many, many will follow them. And as they teach, they will abandon biblical truth. And when you abandon biblical truth, there's always a lower standard of morality. If they are not teaching the Bible... If they are not speaking from the text, and I'm not talking about a few isolated texts, but from the whole counsel of God, not only the love of God but the wrath and justice of God, bringing it all into play as they speak forth the truth. If they do not speak the truth in its entirety, they are abandoning biblical truth and it is leading to a lower standard of morality. That is the fact. And may I say this, if you are not If you are neglecting the Word of God in your life on a daily basis, you also are going to be prone toward a lower standard of morality. Because it is the Word of God that sets you apart. That's why Jesus prayed, Sanctify them by thy truth, O God. Thy Word is truth. We are set apart by the Word of God. And if you are going day after day after day and not reading your Bible and living it and praying over it, you're going to have a lower standard of morality. Your marriage is going to be a mess, your family is going to be a mess, and you will be a mess because you will not be abiding with Christ and living in harmony with Him. Verse 3, by covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. What Peter is doing is alerting us to their motivation, but also how they appeal to those to whom they are speaking. Their motivation is to want better and more for themselves. And to get better and more for themselves, they are promising health and they are promising wealth to those whom they speak. They are covetous. They are wanting better. They are not satisfied with what they have. They want more. And consequently, they drive the best cars, they live in the best homes, they, drive, ha, they, they have airplanes in their hangars, they are, they are covetous by nature, and they are appealing to the covetous nature of all of us, because by nature, we want more now. We want to live for the here and now. You see, the life that's really blessed of God is a life that looks forward not to the now, but to the hereafter and is living in light. Of eternity and consequently they exploit people they take advantage of them they cheat them they frisk them they get their money to feed their coffers and in exploiting them they do it with deceptive words Selective stories, selective thoughts, selective ideas. And they capture the hearts of people. As best we can, I believe that those of us who stand in this pulpit do everything we can to be true to God's word. We may miss an interpretation but we're seeking to be true to God's Word. And there are others in this world that are as well that you can listen to, but be careful because some of the mega ministries are not of God, and they're giving false promises and false ideas. Chuck Swindoll in his book, The The Church Awakening, writes this, Don't be surprised by deception. Rather, anticipate it. Assume it. Stay realistic in your appraisal of these days. Thomas Oden says it this way, Expect a gradual worsening of heretical distortion. There's wisdom in that concise statement. Don't be fooled by any of the externals you see. Persuasive speech, attractive brochures, celebrity endorsements, big crowds, persuasive logic, appealing personalities, even open Bibles. I need to talk straight with you. Not everyone who wears a collar and uses a Bible gets to be trusted. Just because someone quotes verses doesn't mean his or her message is reliable. Remember, even Satan quoted Scripture to Jesus. Not every church that has a huge following is blessed by God. And please, don't equate glitzy entertainment with truth. Even Satan appears as an angel of light. There are imposters on the loose. Some are preying on churches. Some are actually leading them. Watch out. Stay realistic. Pay attention. Apply discernment. Don't be duped by them any more than you are by a little red creature who would call, we would call the devil. Entertaining churches with a shallow, superficial, feel-good message can never prepare you for the doctor's report that reveals cancer. Or the call from the policeman who says your son was in a head-on collision. Or the day your spouse abruptly walks out on your marriage, suddenly all the Christian cliches, clever sermonettes, dazzling performances, and twisted scriptures offer no help. Why? None of these are realistic. They lack depth. They are paper mache facades that crumble under stress, and that's the fact. And so how do you recognize these people? Let me give you three tests that I believe come out of this particular text most of them themselves are unbelievers perhaps not all but many of them are unbelievers they may pretend to profess christianity but they do not possess it and so here's the question you ask do they preach the gospel Are they simply promising health and wealth? Or do they preach that man is a sinner separated from God and that the only means of salvation is that Christ died on the cross for their sins and they must put their faith in Christ alone as Savior? Do they preach the gospel? Now, I am not speaking of people who may not use the verbiage we do because there is lots of different unclear verbiage within the Christian community about how a person gets saved. But the bottom line is, do they believe that it's faith alone and Christ alone by which we are saved? Or do they add works into it? Do they add baptism into it? Do they add giving seed money to their ministry to it? Are they focusing only on the here and now and the health and wealth? Or do they preach the gospel so that man can have eternal life? Not just life now and abundant. The 70 or 80 years plus that we have on earth is just a dot on the line of eternity. And the focus of Christian ministry is always with a view to the hereafter. Second, they don't live under the authority of Christ in the Bible. And so the question is do they preach holiness? Do they preach the hard sayings of Scripture? If it's absent from their ministry, if they don't talk about sacrifice and suffering, then they are not of God. Yes, God sometimes heals, but sometimes it's God's will that we suffer, and sometimes Christian people who are living for Jesus Christ die, and they don't get healed. It's not because of disobedience or lack of faith. They are trusting God. It's in the context of that. And so they do. They preach suffering and allow for it. That Christians really do suffer. They suffer economically. They can suffer physically. They can suffer emotionally. Do they allow for that? Do they preach the hard sayings of Scripture? You have to ask that question. Third, they don't preach prophecy. And so you ask the question over the long haul, have I ever heard them talk about the coming of Christ and being ready for that coming? It's an important factor in godly living, but it's absent often from their teaching. I just did a a quick perusal of some of the books published by some of these people. Listen to the, the titles. Your best life now. Think better, live better. Prosperity promises. The laws of prosperity. The focus of their ministry is on the here and now, and the life that will be blessed in all eternity is a life that is not simply focused on the here and now, but living our lives in light of eternity. It is not focused on the here and now, but it is focused on the hereafter. That is the thought that Peter is communicating in this book. And so after giving a warning regarding these false teachers, he speaks of the destiny of those teachers, and in so doing, gives an allusion to ours. Notice what he says in the middle of verse 3. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and the destruction does not slumber. It may appear for a period of time that they're getting by with what they teach and preach. They're living well. Their ministries are successful. They are celebrities. People honor them. But Peter assures us that their judgment is not idle. Destruction does not slumber. God has in mind what will happen even as they have led people into destructive behavior, they themselves will be destroyed. And so he continues with three illustrations to demonstrate that truth, that judgment has already begun for some, and it will come to those others who maybe appear to be getting by. Notice verse 4. There is what we call an if-then statement. For if God did that then comes in verse 9, then the Lord knows how. In the if statement, he gives three illustrations. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Now I have to admit that there are some believers who, some preachers who believe that the angels who sin refers to the angels who fell with Satan before the creation of the world. But as I've studied the text and compared it with the book of Jude, it appears to me in the context that the angels that sinned are the angels of Genesis chapter 6 who intermarried with the daughters of men and led to the destruction of the world through the flood. Those angels, Peter says in his first epistle, are confined, they are already under judgment. They are in chains, in bondage, and they are in darkness. But he declares in the text that they have been cast into hell. They have been cast into a place of torment already. They're to be held until a final judgment of them at the end. That's why he says, reserved for judgment. Just like someone who's committed a crime may go to the local Johnson County jail, he's already in prison for what he does. He simply gets transferred to the state penitentiary when the final conviction is made. These people already he says, in hell. The word is Tartaros. It is literally hell. They are in judgment. They are under judgment. Their judgment is not idle. It is already begun. They are suffering torment for their sin with the daughters of men in Genesis chapter 6. And he calls it hell. Now, one of the doctrines that is often neglected by the false teachers is the doctrine of hell. A church historian by the name of Martin Marty summarized the attitude about hell in even in the church. Hell disappeared and no one noticed. It's a vanishing doctrine. I don't know the last time you've heard a message on hell from this pulpit. It's been a while. There's then not a whole message on it, but it is a statement. We believe in a literal hell. Gordon Kaufman, who died in 2011, was a divinity professor at Harvard Divinity School. He was quoted in Newsweek with these words. Today, hell is theology's H-word, a subject too trite for serious scholarship. I don't think there can be any future for heaven and hell. He died in 2011. He understands truth today, I assure you. Don't know where he is. I'm not saying that, but there is a heaven and there is a hell. One of the doctrines that is creeping in in progressive Christianity among the false teaching is universalism. Everybody goes to heaven. God reconciled the whole world to himself. How could a loving God send anybody to hell? I'm sorry Rob Bell, but love does not always win because there is justice in the mind and the heart of God. The second illustration is that of Noah. Notice what he says. It's getting heavy. but And he did not spare the ancient world, but he saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. When Jesus spoke of the judgment of the day of the Lord, the tribulation period, the seven years when God pours out his wrath upon earth, he uses Noah and Lot as his illustrations of the unexpected coming of that day. Later in 2 Peter, as we shall see, the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night. It comes when people are not expecting it. And so God in the days of Noah did not spare the ancient world as they lived on ungodliness. But Noah, but Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He lived a godly life. And his life was not on the here and now, but his life was on the hereafter. It was on the future world that he would live in once the flood passed. He believed the promises and the prophetic truth about God's Word, and he built an ark. It probably took him 100 years to build that thing because he looked to the future. He looked to the prophecy, and he believed the Word of God, and therefore God spared him from the judgment on the world. And though Peter is speaking primarily about the destiny of the false teachers and those who follow him, Because they have never genuinely understood the gospel of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. Though he is speaking about their destiny, there's also an allusion to the idea that you and I will be spared from the judgment that comes upon the world. There's an allusion to the rapture of the church. The seven years when God pours out his his judgment upon earth, we too will be spared by being caught up together in the clouds and we will be with the Lord in the air for those seven years. It is not the primary text on the rapture of the church, but it is a validating one because Paul says in the book of Thessalonians that we are not appointed to to wrath, but to deliverance to our Lord Jesus Christ. And the wrath that he speaks of is the wrath of the tribulation period very clearly in that book. His third illustration is that of Lot. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, Condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man, dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Now, apart from this passage, I've never thought of Lot as a righteous guy. I mean, he committed incest. He got drunk. He uh, he chose the rich valley and let Abraham have the leftovers. And I've wondered if Peter doesn't have in mind his positional righteousness because of his faith. It could be. But the text does say that he was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. That word oppressed means to be worn out, exhausted, so tired of all this. He was also tormented day by day. The word for tormented speaks of severe distress. (laughs) Don't you identify with some of that? Just get worn out by the stuff that's going on in our culture. It's what he saw with his eyes and what he heard that wore him out and distressed him. I'm walking through Costco Friday afternoon and I see a a T-shirt with a big... Figure of Texas sewn on it with rainbow colors on it. And I just, can't I go anywhere where I'm not exposed to all this stuff? You see it, you hear about it. And so, because of their extreme wickedness, Dean already addressed it some weeks ago in our former series. God judged that city and those cities and turned them into ashes. But like Noah who was spared, Lot also was spared an allusion to our destiny again that we will be raptured and spared from the judgment that God will pour upon the world. The tribulation judgment that he will pour upon all mankind which will lead to their eternal destiny in hell separated from God and we will be spared from those judgments. Well, if God did not spare the angel and if he did not spare the ancient world and if he did not spare Sodom and Gomorrah, then notice verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and who despise authority. If the Lord judged them, he knows how to reserve the unjust under punishment. He will pour out their judgment upon them just as His judgment is not idle. It is not idle regarding them. They may look like they are getting by, but the judgment will come. And the Lord knows how to do that. And He's really told us how He's going to do it in the book of Revelation, but for the people living in the very end time, and that may be us. But if it's not, he knows how to do it with them. But notice as well, he knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. The word is a word that can be translated in two ways, and perhaps both are in view here. It can be translated temptation. The Lord can deliver you out of the temptation of the age in which you live, and you can live a godly life contrary to the teaching of the false teachers. The Lord knows how to deliver you. They can also be testing, trials. The Lord knows how to deliver you out of the trials. Specifically, the trial of the judgment that he's going to pour out upon earth. And as I read, about, as I read that statement, it occurred to me, I haven't read any in the commentary, so just take this for the grain of salt, but the Lord knows how he's going to deliver us at the rapture. I don't really know. I've seen pictures of cars going into dishes and airplanes diving and clothes laying on the ground. Maybe you've watched the Left Behind series. I haven't, but I understand that's got some of that. It could be like that. I've heard teachers say it'll take place in the midst of some sort of a nuclear interchange so that large numbers of people will die and they'll think that's where all the Christians went and will be caught up to heaven. We don't know how, but the Lord knows how. The Lord knows how to deliver us. You see, what Peter is doing in this passage, he's speaking of the two great doctrines regarding the future of all mankind, the day of judgment and the rapture of the church. And false teachers focus on neither. Their focus is on the now, not on the hereafter. The life that will be blessed in all eternity, have an abundant entrance into the kingdom, And bearing fruit in this life is the life that is lived in light of eternity with a focus on godly living today. So three summary points. False teachers will lead you astray. There'll be judgment for them and those who follow them. And third, deliverance for the righteous. The point, very simply, to live a life with a focus not on the here and now, but on the hereafter. It's an essential component to godly living. It's an essential component to living out the character qualities of 2 Peter Peter chapter one. It's an essential quality to holiness. Um, I don't know all the motivating factors that drive me to wanna please God, but I know that it's one of the factors is that I know I will face Jesus one day and stand before him and give an account. Some years ago, um, one of my uncles, who had worked for Bank of America for his entire adult life into fairly high executive levels, um, had acquired enough money as 401K to take early retirement had enough he felt like to live the rest of his life and decided to retire, and they were gonna start a small little business, maybe with some supplemental income and more as a hobby. And um, within weeks after he retired, he got a phone call that his financial advisor at investor had taken all of his retirement funds and money along with that of 25 other people and had invested it all in a scam and had lost the entire amount. My uncle said that he had to call the bank that day and ask them to make him a loan to pay his mortgage. <laughs> Wished he had paid it off when he had the chance. That man thought he could make a lot of money for himself by investing it in something he thought was going to produce profit, but he was investing it in a scam and he lost it all. When you and I are investing in this life, we are investing at the will of the greatest scam artist that has ever come into the universe, and that is Satan. And he is pleading with you through false teachers and every other means to invest in this life. But it's a scam. Because the only investment that will really pay off and take care of you through the eternal years of your eternal retirement and rest, as Hebrew calls it, is investing in the kingdom. And that's why every moment of every day needs to be yielded to the lordship of Christ because it's a stewardship. As my uncle entrusted money to that financial advisor, God entrusts our time to us. He entrusts our money to us. It is ours. It is not ours. It is simply a stewardship that is entrusted to us to be used for His glory with a view to the hereafter, the focus on eternity. All of the gift mix that you have given, the talents you have been given, the service opportunities you have been given are given to you by God to invest for eternity for the hereafter. And so you live your life investing your time and investing your money and investing your talents and your gifts for eternity with a focus on the hereafter, knowing it's simply a stewardship from God for a short season of time. And whatever you do with it will determine what happens in all eternity. Don't invest what you have in the scam of here and now. Don't try to acquire more, be better, get greater. The measure of a life in ministry and church is not in numbers, it's not in money, it's not in beautiful facilities. It's in an obedience and holiness of God's people. That's what God's calling us to. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we are so prone to want it all now. And so we sacrifice little. We seek comfort and comfortability. We, uh, we are subject, Lord, to the, the pleas of false teachers to want prosperity in this life. When you've called us, Lord, to lay down our lives, And to take up our cross and to follow Jesus, not the way of the false teachers. Help us, Father, to that end, each one of us, on a daily basis. And I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand with us as we close together today, reminded of the holiness of Jesus.